No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you be all mine? I never was good at sharing. I'm just good at caring. Melissa Hotmeyer is off this week and unable to join us for this episode, but is excited for the conclusion of the Back to Campus series. Welcome back. I'm Katherine Marsh, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. Today, we're excited to have Dr. Kreiser, an internationally recognized expert and author in several areas of youth at risk and child well-being, including sexual abuse, physical and emotional abuse, bullying, and interpersonal violence and child safety. Two of her books, The Safe Child Book and 10 Days to Bully-Proof Your Child are available in wonderful tools for parents. And even more important, they're extremely relevant to our continuing series on Welcome Back to Campus. So we are thrilled to have Dr. Kreiser here and welcome to No Gray Zone. Thank you. (laughs) One of the topics that we get a lot of questions about, especially as kids are returning to school is bullying. And bullying, we know as prosecutors, has evolved a lot over the years from what many people thought of as just picking on somebody at school, maybe making fun of their clothing or that they wear glasses, to now it can be almost 24-7, just constant bullying behaviors that are really drastic on the impact it has on our children. So as we're talking about parents or guardians, What kind of behaviors should they be looking at that can be considered bullying? So I think first thing to to do is is really define bullying, because one of the biggest things that I see is, and and I think it's reflected in the data where, you know, 80% of kids say they've been bullied. And, And bullying is not a single incident. You know, someone takes your lunch money. It's an act of aggression. Bullying is really intentional harm repeated over time with an imbalance of power. Now, kids may be the same age and same size, and there would still be an imbalance of power. And so what we're really looking for is sequence of behaviors. And if we if we look at what true bullying is, then it allows us to see what we can do about it and where we really need to act. The other thing I would say is that in years past, kids would report bullying and the school wouldn't do anything or they'd say, you know, can't handle it off campus. Well, the law has changed so dramatically that bullying is included in Title IX if it's based on number of factors, sex, gender, those kinds of things. It's something that school districts are mandated to respond to if it interferes with the child's education, which bullying always does in one way or another. So 
I think that when we look at what children report to us or what we observe, we want to look at changes in behavior. It may not be bullying, it may be sexual abuse, but but when we see sudden changes in kids' behavior, performance, not wanting to go to school, not wanting to go to a friend's house, those are the kinds of questions we need to ask, open-ended questions. What's happening that you don't want to go there anymore? Making it safe for kids to talk to us. The biggest change, I think, is that physical bullying is no longer our biggest problem. Cyberbullying, threats on social media, threats to use social media. I've been involved in a number of elementary school suicides in the in the past several months. And and you know, threats including why don't you just go kill yourself? And so the escalation of what kids are willing to say is kind of unbelievable. But it also gives parents an opportunity if they're willing to know what's going on because it's all in writing. It's all out there. I mean, they're incredibly stupid about it. And so some of what I want to talk about today for parents is things that you can do that are easier in some ways now than they used to be. Absolutely. I want to break down a few things that you've said just in a little more detail. One of the things that I think that you said that's the most important is making sure all of us have a universal definition of bullying. And I think starting with the fact that it is the intentional harm. And I think that puts us in the right mindset of how we need to look at bullying. It's not just an individual incident or it's not just teasing. It's it's this repeated Mm -hmm. behavior to harm someone. Yes. But as you mentioned, we, we don't see as much of the physical bullying that depicted in movies and TV shows a lot. And you mentioned cyberbullying. So how are some of the ways that this bullying pattern has changed or the frequency of it has changed with the explosion of social media, technology, cell phones, and things like that? I think one of the biggest changes is um, group behavior. So if we go back 20 years, for example, one of the things we would identify is exclusionary behavior, rumor spreading, those kinds of things. And we would tend to see that among girls. Now, group bullying is perhaps the most frequent thing we're seeing. As kids suck other kids into it, they uh, say stuff on social media, and then the taunts get transferred to the hallway in school. The kids who normally would never participate in that if they were face-to-face with someone on social media feel comfortable jumping in on abusive behavior. So I, I think that's the biggest shift and the biggest danger that uh, parents need to be aware of and, and address concretely. So as parents, what should we be talking to our kids about when it comes to seeing that video of somebody being beaten up or revenge porn picture that's getting cycled around. What, what should we be telling our own kids that they should do if they see it? Well, so, so I want to answer that in two parts. One is that the message needs to be, there are some things kids can't handle. And, and I, and I, uh, for the moment, I want to limit my comments a little bit to kind of the pre-adolescent group. They need to know there are things kids can't handle that, There are things they need to let their parents know about, that it's not snitching, that it's not tattling. It's when you 
tattle or snitch, you're telling on someone principally for the purposes of getting them in trouble. And when you're reporting to a parent or an adult that you trust about intentional harm, whether it's happening, whether you're the target or somebody else is, that's really supporting your friends, asking for help for something that you can't address yourself. That's the first half of the answer. The second half is massively unpopular with many parents and difficult to do. I've done it as a parent, so I know how hard it is, but we need to monitor what our kids are doing. The threshold for me, for a a pre-adolescent child to be on social media is I know their password. And when I ask, I get to look and see what the conversation is. And parents are incredibly reticent to do that. And I totally get it. But you've got kids who will not send an inappropriate picture of themselves if they know their parents could check it. You've got kids who will not engage in behavior that their parents would not approve of if they know their parents can check it. And you've got kids who engage in risk-taking behavior, like giving out their phone number, giving out the phone number of a friend. And those are not opportunities to get your kid in trouble Those are teaching opportunities. So I walked past my son one day and just kind of looked, oh, what you up to? And I see that he's given the phone number of a girl to someone online. And so he wasn't in trouble for that. He was educated at that point in time about her rights, his rights, his responsibility. And we can't have the conversation in a setting of secrecy. And all the social media stuff, kids now somehow got the idea that they're entitled to their privacy. You're 12 years old. You're not entitled to anything, you know, and it's not how many people are raising their kids, but the risk is just outweighs what you have to do to to be an active parent in this. I couldn't agree more. And my 12-year-old's going to love that I get to come back and say, you know, another expert agrees with me because I have three boys and they are 12, nine, and six. And the yes. rules in our house, well, they don't have social media that's not attached to mine. So they've got the kid messenger stuff, but I get copies of all of them. If I want to, I get yes. to see who they're talking to, but they're not allowed to play any online gaming, be it Minecraft or anything else without people that they know. And they know- yes. I check once a week to see the friends list, make sure that it's all people that they physically know. And I yes. have these conversations going, guess what? I've got one job and that's to turn you <laughs> into a good human and keep you safe. And you don't have to like me while I'm doing it. If you precisely, <laughs> but that's my job. And, and you're right. I think I talk to a lot of schools about cyber safety and, and with PTAs, it's the thing I constantly tell parents and they're like, they do kind of rear back a little bit about yeah. privacy. And, <laughs> and I go with, well, think about when we were growing up, our parents would not let us go to somebody's house or get into somebody's vehicle that we didn't know. And yes. if they were worried about stuff we might be doing, they might check our room while we're at school. <laughs> Online should be no different in that, yes. in that way. The other thing that I loved that you said is really with the younger children emphasizing that it's not snitching to get somebody in trouble, mm-hmm. that it's actually, you're telling an adult to get help for somebody. Yes. So 
when we're talking about our young people and having these conversations with pre-adolescents, how should parents start this conversation about bullying with their kids? I think you, uh, hopefully they started it when they were two and three, because that's when I started educating kids about bullying. And interestingly enough, I did my first research project about bullying. I asked a group of kindergartners if they knew what bullying was, and they all knew, and they all could identify who in their class they defined as a bully. Now, it wasn't quite perfect because it wasn't intentional harm, and it wasn't repeated over time, but it was unkindness. It was exploiting the imbalance of power. So that's really the moment that you start talking about what it is to be a target, what it is to be a bully, and that it is unacceptable behavior because it is not a good way to solve problems and it hurts people. And so I think the focus for parents should be on the things that come before less than giving consequences. Punishing kids for bullying is just guaranteed to drive it underground, does nothing else. And so there can can be consequences for behaviors, but the conversation really needs to focus on skill development, on triggers, on what happened before the bullying happened. So as a preschooler, you know, he took my toy, so I hit him or he hides my toys. So then I took some of his. And so you're, you're not focusing on the fact that he hit him, although you can say that's unacceptable behavior, but that's not your focus. Your focus is what happened that made you feel that way. Name the feeling, name the behavior, name the trigger, and then teach skills so that they have a better way to deal with that. Once they get into school, you know, I've written a program for schools. I believe that this education belongs in schools. And part of why I believe that is because once kids get some training in school and get some strategies, you can hear them out on the playground going, now, wait a minute, wait, we don't do that. Here's how we solve this problem, you know? And so when from the age of two, three, four, and up, they begin to have a language for problem solving. They begin to have strategies. They recognize their feelings and they're able to communicate what they want to communicate with words rather than physical actions. Then you change the pattern of bullying as they get older because you can't start trying to develop empathy when they're 13. They got to have it long before that, because when they hit adolescence, the cyberbullying just goes out on steroids. And they've got to have a language at that point for understanding how it hurts, why it hurts, why it's wrong, and how it will come back to bite them. Kids don't believe that all the stuff they put out there is there forever. They just don't believe it. You know, as as an expert witness in these cases, and as as you see in, in all the legal parts, it's all there and it all comes back. I think examples of cases where, look, it all came back. There have been a, a number of just phenomenally high profile busts of people with child pornography recently. And most of those pictures are kids 
that that sent them. And so we really can use that as an example to say, you know, how many of these girls do you think had any idea where this was going to go? 100%. The self-made child pornography, Melissa and I talk all the time, it's through the roof. And oftentimes the large child pornography cases that we get where they're pulling downloads from international child pornography sites from the deep web, we find pictures of our own kids that they had self-manufactured on these sites. Yes. You mentioned that you've written curriculums for schools and that thankfully the laws have changed with the explosion, especially of cyberbullying for Title IX to now cover bullying as well. But what roles should our educators be playing when it comes to bullying? And as parents and in the community, what expectations should we have on our school to meet these issues? So a couple of things. One is, I think prevention of bullying, like prevention of child abuse, prevention of just about anything, is fundamentally grounded in life skills. Can you think through a problem? Can you communicate? Can you make decisions for yourself? Can you be assertive? And can you report a harm that's being done? And so those life skills, I believe, are an inherent part of what our educational community should be doing. And the the major prevention programs now, I think, have moved very much in that direction. It used to be more don't hit, don't get hit, you know, kind of just say no. But I think people who develop programs have come to understand that there's a skill set that enables a child to do what they're asking them to do. And that skill set transfers to prevention of child abuse to prevention of dating violence. I mean, the skill set is so fundamental for children's well-being that I think schools have an obligation. The other thing is that the law has simply said, you got to do it now. You've got to post about Title IX. You've got to respond to reports. You've got to remediate and stop situations. And frankly, I'm astonished at the number of schools that believe Title IX is something that just is on the books, that it doesn't somehow demand and require that they do what they're told to do under Title IX. And so the most interesting thing to me about the cases that I've seen in the past couple of years is that kids have gotten the message to report and schools have not gotten the message about what they're required to do when a report comes in. And so I, I think the if, if schools take on educating kids about bullying, they can correspondingly take on educating their staff. One of the things that I notice about school policies and procedures is, you know, the bullying policy and procedure. I was looking at one the other day that's 24 pages long. Unnecessary. (laughs) This is pretty simple. You take the report, you investigate, You remediate, you stop the behavior, and you educate. We don't need 24 pages for that, because what does 24 pages do? It guarantees no one reads it or knows what it says, including administrators. So I think the mandate's pretty simple and straightforward. I think if we start from preschool on, we could make a difference. And I think it's the duty of schools to do that. So what should a parent or a community member do if they think that their school doesn't have appropriate bullying education in their curriculum, and they don't actually have a well-articulated 
short and simple bullying policy, what should they do? Well, if they care a lot about it, and I have a lot of parents who do, I think they should go to stopbullying.gov is a great resource. The Title IX site that the government has is actually a great resource. And if you Google it, there are a number of organizations that have put out a very simple explanation of what Title IX means, what's required. And then if there's an incident that the school does not address, pull it out, take it into the school, take it into the superintendent and say, I know this is required of you and I'm putting you on notice right here, right now. And parents should not be intimidated by school administrators. They're there to serve. And a principal simply may not know. I mean, you know, I've been a principal and the number of regulations that a principal is required to know about is like just gobsmacking, you know? And so maybe that didn't come up on my radar. So as a parent, It's perfectly appropriate to say, this needs to be on your radar because my child is being whatever, or my child has gotten in, in trouble for bullying behavior. And you have not created an environment here that supports me to teach him another way to deal with his triggers. And so I think in their face is the way to do it. Principals have so much going on that really, if it's not in their face, it's not going to get their attention. I love the, just the simple part of don't be intimidated. Cause I think so often we do get intimidated by people we consider experts in their fields. Like, yes, yes. And as you mentioned, parents need to be advocates for their kids because bullying can cause real harm. So yes. if you could just talk a little bit about what kind of emotional, mental, and physical impact bullying can actually have on a child. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go with third, fourth grade up into adolescence and in answering that because kids want to feel part of a group. They want to feel accepted. They don't want to be singled out. Their self-esteem is developing. Their self-confidence is developing. And when it is systematically attacked whether it's a physical attack, whether it's exclusion, whether it's cyberbullying, it is so extraordinarily painful. When I was doing live parent seminars, which we don't do much anymore, um, (laughs) I, I would always ask people to raise their hand if they could think of a time they were bullied. Hands all went up. And then I asked them to think about where did they feel it? Well, most people feel it in their gut. They just, it it just shrivels your insides. And if adults can reconnect with that visceral feeling when they experience that victimization, then they can be more empathetic when kids come and report to them and not say stupid things to them like, oh, just ignore them or just water off a duck's back. You know, it's that is so not helpful because. It's painful. And so I I think the repeated nature of it and the escalation of it and the imbalance of power as the kids who are cyberbullying pull other kids in with them and they begin to say more and more hurtful things. And what's interesting about it is they will do that even if the kid's being targeted 
doesn't respond at all. If they ignore them completely, it's it's like we got our target and we're going to have fun now. And the the number of kids who end up moving schools to get out of these situations, the number of kids who attempt suicide, the number of kids who are, as they are older and in adolescence, who begin to engage in behaviors that reflect their negative self-concept, it just, it hurts them in such a fundamental, in-your-heart way that if we could make ourselves feel that again, we would not allow it to continue. So we've talked a lot about as parents, if our child is being bullied, what we should do. But there's a flip side. Um, Yes. (laughs) And that's recognizing that our child might be the one doing the bullying or showing those kinds of behaviors. You've written a book on it. (laughs) (laughs) So, and we will have the link to the book, 10 Days to Bully Proof Your Child, also in the podcast note. But what should parents be doing to make sure that their child is not demonstrating bullying behaviors? So I think the first thing, and again, it's always my preference if, you know, it starts down in preschool because we see aggressive behavior in preschool. And so from that point forward, I think the conversation is twofold. One, unacceptable behavior. But two, what happened? What triggers that for you? Because part of what happens with bullies is kids are very smart about what the triggers for bullies are. And so they egg them on and they trigger them and then the bully gets in trouble and that's a lot of fun. And so I think kids who tend to be bullies are kids who are lacking in life skills. They're lacking in the ability to reflect and think ahead about, oh, he's trying to trigger me. I don't think so this time. They lack the ability to communicate their feelings as opposed to acting on their feelings. And so the focus on the process and then alternatives to the outcome based on the skills of that child. There are some kids who that doesn't work for. There are kids who are too easily triggered, who engage in harmful behaviors repeatedly with multiple targets. So I think for them, it really is appropriate to to get some help with that. Some kids, you know, do it because they have ADHD as a secondary or primary issue. And so they don't have the ability to kind of stop it on a dime, you know, because because of their sensitivity. And so I think it's individual, but it's something that we see by first, second grade, we know who those kids are going to be without intervention. And now that's a little different from the hanger on or bully, you know, which we get in the cyberbullying. So with the cyberbullying, there's usually one or two instigators and the rest are kind of hanging on and egging on and get sucked into the inappropriate behaviors themselves. And I think for them, the intervention is, is a little bit different. It's one, unacceptable, but two, Your communications are going to be out there forever. When this all comes down, you're going to be involved and you're going to get hurt. And and three, just think about what you're doing to another person, to a classmate, to to someone that, that you cared about once with the revenge porn stuff. You know, I think it's the same conversation. Look at what you're doing, because I don't think kids are called up short enough 
to look at what they're doing. And so they just keep doing it. And I see it a lot with teachers and kids and paraprofessionals and kids. You know, we hire 18, 19, 20 year old paraprofessionals, usually males, and put them in high school. Well, this is not a good situation from the get go, you know? <laughs> so if, if a parent notices that a child's talking about the paraprofessional at school more often or in a more favorable way, you know, it's time for a conversation. What are the boundaries there? What could happen to you? What could happen to that person? Parents can't prevent everything, but, but the more we can keep our eye on what's going on, the better. The other thing I have used and I share with every parent I possibly can, you'll go home and do this with your kids tonight, is the no questions asked rule. And the no questions asked rule says you're going to do some stupid stuff in your life. And when you do, and you need to get out of a jam, you call me or you come and talk to me and I will help no questions asked. And, you know, I hate to say how many times I got that call from my son and his friends. I'm at somebody's house. I'm in a jam. Come pick me up. And I always pick them up. No questions asked. Now, later, we're going to have a conversation you know, about the choices you made about the how you how you got yourself into that situation but kids have got to know that we will help and no questions asked allows your kid or his friends to call and say you know I can't talk to my mom about this but I, I need some help here or my dad will kill me if I call him to pick me up but I know you'll pick me up and so I think that safety valve is really critical for all families I love that. I, I, <laughs> I always tell parents when I deal with online exploitation and sextortion and things like that to say, make an online contract, kind of like we had mad contracts with our kids. That yes, yes. Although we were drinking or at a party underage, if we called for that ride, they'd come get us. We wouldn't get in trouble. There'd be no yelling. Safety is first. Yes. But summing it up is no questions asked. No questions asked. It's the best. So I'm going to change it from making a contract to developing that <laughs> instead. So I'm going to steal that with your permission. Uh, <laughs> to totally. I wish others. every parent would steal it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I just loved your other part of, because I think we overlook it or we take it for granted that we need to teach empathy. Yes. And that we need to teach our children that the consequences of their actions can cause real harm to others. Yes. Because I think the majority of children innately do not want to harm somebody else. That's right. But I think we forget that that's a skill that sometimes has to be taught too. So thank you so much for spending so much time on, on that, of having that conversation with our children. But that is all the time we have left for today. We will have the links to Dr. Kreiser's books and her webpage, safechild.org, and our podcast notes. But before we sign off, Dr. Kaiser, this is any last advice you have for parents or loved ones whose children may experience bullying or whose children may be demonstrating bullying behavior. The floor is yours. Oh, gosh. Don't ignore it. Get it early and never blame your child. They're a child. They're doing the best they can. They need more from us. Thank you so much. And thank you again for joining us on No Gray Zone. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can find us on social media at No Gray Zone RRC on Twitter and Instagram and No Gray Zone on Facebook. 
There are no excuses when it comes to child safety or not having the right response when it comes to bullying. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring.